So, Briarly, today's episode is based on a study that you found that just came out at the end of January yeah. 2023. And I remember you telling me about it, but then I had to go look at it myself because it's really cool. And not that we need justification to get together with our girlfriends, but this is great justification. <laughs> it really is. It really, really is. But I also kind of already have a slight love-hate relationship with the study because some days I just want to put my comfy clothes on and sit on my couch. Yeah. Well, it doesn't say you have to go out necessarily. That's true. So That's true. Let's tell people what this study was about and what it found. Yeah. So basically, the short story is the study found that if you have one conversation with a friend a day, it can have, like, great benefits on your mental health. Yeah. And it came out of Kansas. Uh, and like you said, it was very recently published. So interesting about it was that with the participants, they gave them seven different ways that they needed to communicate with people. And not all in one day. There's seven different options. Options. Over this period of time. Yes. So they could just catch up with a friend mm -hmm. they could have like a meaningful talk with a friend they could just joke around i think have you a good laugh read, with a friend right one of the prompts was like just have a good laugh with a friend um another one was you could show care you could just listen do some listening um you could show valuing others and their opinions in your interaction or you could offer some sincere compliments yeah the the key was it just had to be like a quality conversation. Exactly. And what researchers found was that it didn't matter which of those seven you did. Right. Like, like That's one didn't crazy. win out over the other. Right. And the other thing that blew my mind is it really didn't matter how long you did one of these seven. Right. It was just about doing it and just making sure you had at least one connection with a friend today or each day. Yeah. There was an increase in all participants' well-being. And then if you could have more than one, it just the benefit grew. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, that saying like more is more, more is better. Like, yes, that I totally applied here. What... I also thought was interesting was that in one of the write-ups that that the school released, they said that the findings weren't exclusive to people who already had these fulfilling lives with higher quality conversations. What they found was that anybody who just makes time to do this, like you could be a newbie at it, you could not necessarily... You could be an introvert. Exactly. And yeah. you could, as long as you just did it, you were going to reap the benefits. Yeah. And it and they, I think it said like, no matter what state you're in, just initiating one of these quality, quick conversations got you to a better place than where you were that day. Yes. Which I think is huge. I think it's awesome. Now, I will say this part was a little frustrating to me. They did say that high-quality face-to-face communication was more closely associated with well-being than electronic or social media contact. Uh, I would have to agree. I mean, there are days where I realize, like, at the end of the day, you know, I'm just not depressed, just kind of, uh, you know. Um, and I realize, I've started to realize 
You know, I didn't have a single conversation like with a friend today. I responded to people on social media. I taught a class. I virtually. Yes, I engaged in little chit chat. Hey, how are you at the office? But that was it. And yeah. I realized, like, I've started to realize, like, I miss that connection if I don't make a point to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, I got a question for you. We like to use Voxer back and forth. Do you think that counts? Well, that was why I kind of was, like, a little bothered by this because it sounds like catching up in person is the best. Face-to-face is really the best. But we use Voxer. I use Marco Polo with two other friends. So I get the, like, not necessarily on social media or, mm-hmm. like, texting or whatever, but... You, you and I sometimes use Zoom yeah. to connect. It's usually about work, but I do feel like there's a greater connection. I mean, in person's best, but yeah, I do like us using Zoom because I do feel like we can connect a little better. Yeah. But, I mean, Zoom, I guess, technically falls into face-to-face communication. Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. Um. But, I mean, I the cool part is that what they found is that the just having the conversation, even if it's short, helps. And if you can make it face-to-face, yeah, it's going to be even better. And I think they said so, it, it increased happiness in participants and it decreased stress. stress and anxiety, I believe. I saw in one write-up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And it's... Again, not that we need justification to get together with girlfriends, but a lot of times, like, that is low on your – we put that low on our priority list. Yeah, or, like, you make plans, and then as the day goes on, if things start to come up, you're like, I mean, I guess I could sacrifice that. Yeah. But really, maybe you shouldn't be sacrificing that. Yeah. Well, and that's what I've kind of slowly learned over the years. Like, that social connection is so – much more valuable. Maybe it's as I get older. That social connection is so much more valuable to my overall health. I I totally agree. I think like having friends and um, the social connection, the just like normalizing life experiences through like by having those friends and those social connections, it just, I don't know, it just makes life feel a lot less heavy at times. I agree. So... We just thought this was fun to bring to you, a fun findings, and I don't know, it's kind of going to make me pay more attention, I think, to making sure I have some kind of connection exactly each day if I can. Um, but what we're going to bring you now is a, an excerpt from our interview with a friendship coach that we interviewed last year. And, oh, my gosh, Danielle is so – I didn't know there were friendship coaches. N- not first. until you introduced me to her. Yeah. I had no and idea. You're, you're going to want to hire her as a friendship coach yeah. once you hear her. But she has such great advice. I mean, this is all she does is she studies the connection and relationships primarily between women and why it's so valuable to have and how to build stronger ones and – Kind of like what to do if a friendship seems to be dying out. and Exactly. Yeah. And she normalizes how friendships change over the years. Like she talks – we talk mm-hmm. about the statistics of like how many years you have a friendship for typically and that and that sort of thing. And that was one part it that – Makes you feel better. It's really valuable, yeah, that I, that I don't think we 
talk about yeah. a lot. Um, I actually was even referencing her and like the information that she had shared with us with another friend earlier this week who was like lamenting about a French a female friendship that she has and kind of feeling like she was putting in more effort than the other friend mm-hmm. and she was like, Do you think I should say something? And I was like, Well, I feel like Danielle would tell you yes, not in a confrontational way. Right. But in a let's just like talk about it kind of way. Yeah. She's really interesting. So yeah, catch that next. Enjoy it. Danielle is a female friendship coach and educator who speaks nationally on the subject of friendship as a wellness imperative. Her business, Friend Forward, is dedicated to teaching women how to create and maintain better female friendships. Her expertise has been featured in NBC News, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Shape Magazine, and a host of other media outlets. Thank you for joining us today, Danielle. Oh, thank you for having me. This is this is such an important topic, so I'm happy to lend my voice to the conversation. So you you do on a daily basis, you do one-on-one coaching with women, right? Yep. They so one-on-one you. coaching for any kind of friendship issue that they have, whether it's something immediate. So I get emails all, all the time that are like, okay, I need a session tomorrow. Are you available? Because I'm having lunch with a friend and I think I got to tell her something, but like, I don't know. I want to work through it. So sometimes it's urgent. And a lot of times I can't accommodate those. I'm like, girl, I have a schedule. But every now and then I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. You know, I can hear the desperation in her voice. I'm like, let's do it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I come alongside them and I coach through making friends. If you're in a new city, how to have a hard conversation with a friend you've just been ruminating over incessantly or how to let go of a friendship. And so there's a myriad of things that I can offer support for. Yeah. Well, you were speaking when I saw you or met you, you were speaking to a room full of entrepreneur women. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, um, you mentioned, I think maybe you even mentioned it, you know, you get, you love, you're so passionate about your career. You get so into it, but that also makes you kind of lose not lose friends, but you just get a, you get so immersed in your career um, that then you like come up for air and or like you got a free weekend and you're like, okay, who do I hang out with? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you have friends you could call, but you realize you have let those super close ones, you know, you need to repair, reach out, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my favorite things about this topic is we can speak about it from the intersection of a lot of different things. So friendship and entrepreneurship, friendship and motherhood. And I love tailoring the the discussion to that specific group because we all have our personal uh, struggles. But as a woman entrepreneur with two kids trying to do all the things, I know very intimately some of those challenges as as a high achieving woman who thrives on accomplishments, um, but also wants to maintain friendships. And so, yeah, if you put friendship on the back burner, because a lot of times we take advantage of our friends, oh, they'll be there. I don't have to like, you know, repot that plant because it's there, you know, and then we are missing closeness. Then we don't have anyone to to ask for help. We're keeping our most vulnerable needs and desires to ourselves because as a high achiever, you thrive on feeling self-sufficient. So you're not going to ask for help. And now you're silently crumbling in the background, complaining that nobody helps you out. So we have our own set of issues with friendship, but, um, but I think we're waking up to just how important they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you just touched a little bit on like what happens when we don't have friendships. Um, can and and I've heard you talk before, and even seen you quoted in some pieces about how um, there is a direct link between friendship and health, like physical health and mental health. 
can you give us like just some of those stats? Like we don't we don't have to get super deep, but but you know whatever feels like top of mind. Yeah, there's I mean there's so much stuff. I just I just try to advocate for us speaking about friendship from a wellness perspective because so often we're like we're talking about it in terms of what are some fun things we can do for brunch this weekend. And yeah, that's important. Shared experiences are important. Having fun together and delighting in one another is so important. But but speaking about it from a wellness perspective, I think encourages us to prioritize it mm-hmm. the same way we would our physical and mental health. Mental health, I'm so glad, has become elevated in the public dialogue, but relational and social health as well. And so there is, you know, tons of research. There's there's um, a study from 2020 that found that of more than 100 factors that influence depression, having somebody to talk to is the number one preventer. There is um, a research study that's famously kind of done with women who were um, diagnosed with breast cancer and those who had more favorable outcomes were those who had a social support network. Um, For women specifically, there's so much research on even in postpartum, you know, that you're less likely to fall into anxiety and depression if you spend time with your friends. And they specifically studied it against your family members and partner. And the greatest impact was when you were with your friends after having your baby. So, I mean, there's just so much that points to having social support and feeling satisfied, which is a whole other conversation because a lot of it's relative. Feeling satisfied with your social support and the direct impact it has on virtually every other aspect of your health. Yeah. Can you, I think one of the hardest things may be realizing as an adult that friendships change. I think I was very lucky, though, growing up, I had a, this group of friends, and we were just together, you know. Now I'm realizing, as I have a teenage daughter, I was really lucky to have that. But in adulthood, your close friends seem to change a lot more. Or not not frequently, but every, you know, it depends on the stage of life and your kids' ages. And you shared some great statistics um, about how, I believe, how calm, how how just on friendship changing and then how many you can really maintain and that I thought was really interesting. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so there's research that shows us that the the quantity of your friendships matters when you're young and when you're old. So it kind of goes on this curve. And as you're kind of like in the middle, the quantity really matters. Now, obviously at all times, it matters that you have quality people that you're, you're socializing with, you know, and they're not a source of negative stress, but that the number really matters as you're growing up um, to have a bunch of varied people you're socializing with, the skills that you get from them, the support, identity support, things like that. And then as you're older, because our, our friends, you know, will, fade away, you know, pass away as we get really, really, really old in age. So in the middle, that quality is really important. So yeah, we see kind of like a shifting that happens, a natural pruning that happens. Um, There's research that suggests that we replace half of our friends every seven years, and which kind of makes sense to me because I think, gosh, when you think of every seven years, those are like significant life jumps, maybe like Mm -hmm. kids, career, like they're big jumps in, in, in your, you know, life development. And so, um, yeah, so those friendships change. Um, I think what you're kind of speaking to is I like to speak about, um, a a theory known as Dunbar's number, Mm -hmm. um, by a gentleman named Robin Dunbar. The general idea is that we can only have enough cognitive capacity for 150 social connections. So I often joke that those of us with maybe a large following are like, 
girl, I've got like 10,000 followers. What are you talking about? But your mind, I mean, our brains haven't evolved that much. You know, it's still the same, 150 connections. So if you think of that as a circle and then a series of circles inside of that getting smaller and smaller, these concentric circles, the smallest circle in the middle represents five relationships, five super, super ultra close relationships that you can maintain because of the time that's required, the emotional investment that's required. And they found that if you have a romantic, a romantic partner, that person takes up two of those spaces. Oh my gosh. Then, you that's know, what it if was, you've got yeah. three kids and I don't know what that says about you, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, oh my goodness. And I know we tend to get caught up in the numbers, but I like to say, you know, we use research as a general guideline to inform your decisions. So generally speaking, if the idea is that I have a limited amount of space to pour in very heavily to, to a handful of, of platonic relationships, I have to be strategic. I have to be strategic and I have to be intentional. So this whole thing that we do where we hang out, we catch up for coffee and then we're like, that ought to sustain me for three hours or three months. It's not going to work. And I know some of us are like, well, I'm busy and you know, I'm kind of a low maintenance friend and I, and I understand that and friendship looks different for everyone, but an attitude of, I don't have to like do much. I don't want to have to do much. They're my friends. I shouldn't have to show up much. I'll just say, I think there's a direct correlation between that and, and maybe your satisfaction um, in the friendship and, and the closeness and the benefits you reap. I'll just say that. Um, so, you know, we do need those weak ties as well. So that's what we refer to as like maybe that outer circle, which, which has 10 to 15 people. So these are people who maybe they're not my bestie, but like I really enjoy their company and they know a little bit about my life and I can, you know, ask them for support that maybe there's not like a platonic intimacy, but like she's my girl, you know? So we need those too. There's a ton of research that shows the benefits of people who have lots of weak ties as well. I think that's why a lot of us suffer during the pandemic because we lost a lot of our weak ties. The person yeah. we kind of see at work, we see every day in the mm -hmm. elevator, the barista at the coffee shop, we need them too. So the gist of all of that is that if you have a handful of friends and you notice the numbers going down, that's not a bad thing, not at all. So how can you be intentional about pouring into those relationships so that you can reap the full benefits that they offer? Got it. Interesting. Yeah. But I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the five thing, right? And I'm yeah. like, okay, so my husband takes up two. My kids <laughs> take up two. I don't include my kids on it. Like, I feel like that's a different. Well, then know. what about my ex-husband? I mean, I don't want to give him no. a number. Just... He doesn't take one, right? Where am I? Like, I can't exactly. talk to you right now. I don't have enough space. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I got one more seat on this train. Well, it made me feel a we little have a better. Competition among our competition. friends. Who's going to get? I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, it <laughs> That'll make a good reality show, huh? Yes. It made me feel a little better because I had scaled back in my closeness. Oh, I'm so glad I made the cut. Because it was all I could do for a while. I really needed those, and there were, you know, it was um, it was all I could maintain. But hearing you talk made me feel a little better, and it made me, um, or it's making me more aware of I need to put into it because it, this is a part of my wellness. Like, mm -hmm. I don't need to cancel on dinner because this is a part of my wellness. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love that it's resonating with you in that way, because, yeah, you know, I, I often share, too, you know, we're, we're often uh, many of us are familiar with the concept of fight or flight as stress responses. But when they did that study again with women this time, they found that we have an additional set of responses to stress tend 
or befriend. So when women are stressed, we'll either mm-hmm. go and care for those who we deem as more vulnerable and make sure everybody's good. Are you safe? Are you okay? And then we'll also go and gather with others. And when women come together when they're stressed, it releases oxytocin, um, which decreases our cortisol, our stress hormone. So like quite literally, when I'm stressed and I go to other women during that fear, during that distress, it calms me down. And so, you know, it's just, it's just so important to say, hold on a second, mama needs time with mm-hmm. her, with her girls. And to not have that mom guilt, we often feel like ah, I'm spending time on myself. I could be with the kids because you need that for yourself. So what do you consider of friendship being of, of satisfaction? Like, how is that, is that measured? Is it individualized? I, I'm assuming it would be, but I don't know. I'm so glad you asked that because you know what is so um, interesting to me is, you know, I like to spend a couple hours a week, like looking at the latest research on things and and then chewing it up in a way that makes it very practical and understandable by people. Um, but it all uses very relative language. It's all so subjective. So even like when it talks about the benefits of friendship in your life, we use the word friendship, like friendship researchers, we use that word. But like when you look at the research study, they're using phrases like perceived social support, Mm. perceived social satisfaction, because loneliness is not about not having relationships. It's about how you feel about the relationships you do have. And so I think that's why, and and I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm a coach and educator. I'm not a mental health professional. I will say, I wonder if that's why people who struggle with other things like depression or other things like that, I, I, uh, I want to be careful. I would say, get curious about how that might be impacting how satisfied you can feel in your friendships. Because even if you're surrounded by people who do love on you and support you, but there's something going on where you you can't be grateful for it or receive it, then like, yeah, that's going to affect how you perceive their support and, and the impact it has on you. And yeah. so it, all of the language speaks to perceived support in your life, yeah. so which is relative, yeah. Ideally, how should you be perceiving things in a healthy friendship? Is that the right? Yeah. (laughs) Is that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I'll say this. I've learned a lot from one of my colleagues, Dr. Marissa Franco. Her book is called Platonic. It's amazing. And it outlines the ways that your attachment style impacts how you relate to other people platonically. And I've learned so much from her. I'm not a psychologist, um, but I have through coaching several women over the years, I have seen how different our expectations are. So sometimes a woman's talking to me and I can hear it immediately. Um, you know, she's outlining like, and I just feel like she doesn't support me. Like she didn't have my back. And the next question I always ask is, can you tell me what that looks like? Like if I were watching her support you, what would I see? And to force you to articulate what it looks like. Because for your friend, it might be a totally different picture, but y'all are using the same language. So you're like, I did support you. And you're like, no, I no, you didn't. It's relative. If support for you looks like, you know, during my divorce, you came and sat with me while I cried and you were with me on my bed while I was like snot crying all over the place and you cooked for me. That's what I needed. But to you, you know, you sent flowers and you sent me a text and you said, let me know if I could do anything. And you did support me. Mm. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those things, though, that we don't articulate to each other because we believe that with friendship, we shouldn't have to say it. Like, that's the whole magic of friendship. But the consequences, our friendships have proven to be more fragile. Not that they're not deep, but because we perceive these infractions, we silently stack them up and then we're like, you know what? She 
doesn't support me. And we withdraw and we never said, okay, can we, can we talk? Because I feel like I needed this during that time in my life. I wasn't getting it as opposed to, I mean, I feel like you were a bad friend and you didn't support me. And we're just using these big, broad, you know, clips of language. And so it's hard for me to say what reasonable expectations are. All I'll say is if you ever start to notice a little friction and you feel like, how could she not get that? I hate to say it, but have you told her? Have you made it plain? It's very unsexy and it kills the vibe to have to say it. But have you articulated, hey, I think I need this specifically. I think I like weekly check-ins. Maybe it's too much for her. Maybe she's not used to that. But that's where we kind of negotiate as friends. You know, I have a friend who does not like to text. She doesn't like it. But because so because I know that, I'm going to call her. I'm willing to do that for her because she's my friend. And so it's about figuring it out together and making accommodations for people you care about. Wow. So basically it's like a, it's, it's like a marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Boo. Talking about expectations. No, I mean like it is, it's like, but we have this idea that friendship's supposed to be like fun. So why would I be like, Hey, can we have a talk about our expectations? And I think there's like a playful way you can do it. And it feels like a little organic, but I mean, yeah, you know, otherwise we're saying like, man, she's so selfish and she hasn't called me and she hasn't, I mean, what, what's the expectation here? You have some people who like checking in every day. Some people don't like that. It feels like a little clingy to them. Uh, depending on your attachment style, you might like a lot and need a lot. And if a person, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I have a relatively secure attachment style, but I lean toward, you know, being a little, um, a little more independent. So for me, maybe I'm like, Ugh, like turned off by like a lot, you know? And so some of the stuff we bring into a friendship from our, our past and our childhood. So what is normal to you might not be normal to me. Um, and so, you know, we've just got to figure it out. Maybe that's why some of us befriend people who tend to have really compatible styles from the beginning. But if you do notice a shift, are you willing to say like, you know, Hey, so is that too much? Do you want to do like a weekly check-in? Are you cool with that? Or you want to just talk Friday, you know, every Friday morning or something like that. Um, just, I don't know. So there's ways to experiment and stay curious about each other and what each other's needs are. You seriously sound like you're talking about a romantic relationship. <laughs> I think it's so cool though, because, because it, like you, you put it so well. It was just very clear to me when you said like, we have this like magical notion about friendships mm-hmm. or we have this like thought that friendships are supposed to be like this magical and easy thing. But the reality is like, they're, they're, they re- they're no different than a romantic relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, you mm-hmm. don't really grow up with that idea. You know, you, mm-hmm. you make friends with who it's easy to make friends with and you get along with. And if you don't get along, then, you know, mama say don't play together. You know, like. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're not really trained for adulthood friendships, like for the idea that you really have to work and maintain and mm-hmm. yeah, prune and. And sure, I mean, like, if all of our friendship is, like, constantly talking through our feelings and, like, constantly, then that can be a lot. And at the end of the day, the positive does need to outweigh the negative, you know? But it's just that in any human relationship, there are going to be conflicts because you're bringing your own set of, like, desires, of things you need, of things that turn you off, and I'm bringing mine. So it's only a matter of time before we have competing needs and desires, and we got to figure it out. So, no, we shouldn't be having, like, every conversation. It's like, okay, we got to work through this. Okay, we're going to work through this, girl. Like, all the time. Oh, my God. But it's going to happen at one point, 
And I'd be curious to see how do you respond to conflict? Is it, oof, this must be a sign that we're not as compatible as I thought. I'm going to leave. It's not fun anymore because you will be starting from scratch all of the time. So you've got to figure out how to do it. There's even research that shows that you are sometimes closer after healthy conflict because you're like, oh, okay, I'm glad we talked about that. I totally get where you're coming from now. Wow. Like, I feel like I totally get you now. So that it's that happens. But yeah, if we're looking for it to just be a good time and as soon as it's not a good time or as soon as we're inconvenienced a little bit, we're like, I'm over it. I mean, you know, I think, you know, it, you know, says something and, and I think you will maybe feel the impact eventually of that. Wow. I know. It's fascinating. Isn't it? it really is. Now, are men the same way? Yeah. So there are actually a lot of differences between male and female friendships. Um, and I specialize in female friendship, but it's hard to like look up women specific things without seeing it juxtaposed against men. When you look at the research, um, I always like to stress, stress, stress. I am just talking about um, research-based things. I'm talking about tendencies. I always say that because, you know, if, if I don't front little with that, then you have somebody who's like, that doesn't apply to me. So this research must be totally, you know, false. Mm -hmm. So tendencies. A quick rundown of some of our differences. One, how we congregate. Women tend to prefer one-to-one. -one. We tend to be in dyads. Men tend to prefer groups. Some people say that goes back to like, like it's an evolutionary thing where men are involved in warfare. So it's better to have a large squad to like conquer together. Um, that's just a thought. But the way we group is different. Um, how we define like the things that we prioritize in friendship are different. Women's number one thing that they seek in female friendships is emotional support and prioritization. Yes. Meaning if you're my number one, yeah, I've, I need to be your number one. That's important mm -hmm. to us. For men, not so much. That I need to be your number one. It, not so much. Okay. They kind of prioritize um, uh, mate seeking status. Um, I don't think it's at the top of their mind. Like I need to find people who have a lot of status, but for them, it becomes about status for us. It's about connection. Um, and again, I think that goes back to that, that warfare idea of like having men on your side who are capable and competent and can conquer with you. It's just my speculation. Um, um, in terms of how close we get, in terms of how fragile our friendships can be, you don't often hear too many talk, uh, men talking about friendship breakups because they just don't. But for us, we're so close. And when it's over, it's it's over. And we're thinking about, should I let this go or not? Um, mm -hmm. Women tend to determine closeness by who they tell the most to. Men by who they've been friends with the longest. Um, so there's just different ways we congregate, different ways we we talk. We talk about emotional support Unfortunately, I say unfortunately, men don't because the latest studies showed that one in five men has zero friends and they're really struggling right now. I wonder if a lot of that is cultural that we, we, I have some thoughts there, but yeah, but men and women friendships tend to be um, a little bit different for sure. I mean, that is vastly different. Yeah. I, and and yeah. it's, it's really interesting to hear you explain the differences because I feel like it actually helps me better understand like why the men in my life you know mm -hmm. have the kind of like friends i'm using air quotes friends cuz sometimes like you know my like my husband will talk about his like you know oh this is a friend of mine well the friend lives in a different state they grew mm -hmm. up together he hasn't seen the one in 10 years and i've never met him and i'm like 
this is a friend? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, there's one study. I, I forget what it's, I, for, I forget the details, but I remember the essence of it. And they found that like they had men write down um, the name of somebody who you feel like you could borrow money from, like a close friend you could borrow money from. And some of them have put down names of men who had died and they didn't know it. Just to show, <laughs> just to show how the way they qualify friendship is based on like oh my boy bob from you know (laughs) back in my military days bob died five years ago yeah okay yeah but that would never happen to a woman Uh because our closeness our closeness is dictated by who i'm telling the most to right now in my life who knows the most tends to be my closest friend i don't care if i have if i haven't talked to you in five years we're probably not friends and so it just looks it just, it just looks different. And again, those are tendencies, you know, not everybody's doing that, but when we look at patterns and what's most prevalent, um, yeah. And I think that, I mean, it sets us up for a lot of different issues too. I think that's why women are often positioned to take on a lot of the emotional labor in a marriage, because who is he talking to? Just you, but who am I talking Mm. to? My friends. And so literally a, a huge American survey on, uh, on, the survey of like American life or something did a big study in the summer of 2021. And they found that when faced with the crisis, men turn to their family and their partner, women to their partner and their friends. So you see how there's a balance there. Like, well, who's taking all the, I'm listening to my friend's stuff, my kid's stuff, my husband's stuff, you know? So it's, it's a lot. And this world's always been positioned in such a way where the woman has to kind of bear a lot of those burdens, you know, caretaking is, is, you know, statistically typically a thing that falls on women. I mean, there's so much that falls on us, but men have to get comfortable sharing. We have to stop making, you know, men feel like they're soft if they share or they get close. Um, you know, I, I have some male clients I work with, like in the background, they email and they're like, I know you work with women, but like, please. And I'm like, okay, you know, all right. You know, but this is not my specialty. So if you're cool with that, okay. And they're like, okay. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to keep this private because this messes up my branding, you know? Um, but I have one gentleman who's saying how hard it is because sometimes he just wants to go like hang out with a guy he thinks is really cool. Oh, but yeah. They're often, but they're often suspicious because it feels weird. It, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. why is this guy saying like texting me? Why is this guy saying, do you want to get a drink together? Why is this guy? So there's some of that too, where men aren't totally comfortable in our culture, just being like, yeah, I'm going out with this dude and they're not concerned about how it looks. They can just right. relax into it. You know, so there's there's a lot of different things. Um, and then also remember what we said earlier. So if it's about status and a men's friendship, then am I going to tell you the areas of my life where I am weak? So it almost is counterproductive to like what we value here. You know, um, oh, one yeah. way to prove that is, you know, I, I had this TikTok that went um that went viral, okay? Um, But it was, I was responding to a guy's video. He was, I guess he was making a joke and I thought it was funny, but he was talking about how, wow, have you ever watched a bunch of women compliment each other? They're like, yo, I love your pants. And they're like, oh my God, these ugly things or else they barely fit anymore. Like we say something just like disparaging about ourselves. And he's like, it's hilarious, ha ha ha. And I was like, well, actually here's what's happening. And, And even in these discussions, these little groups, you can see, the difference between men and women. So with men, they tend to um, talk for longer periods of time in a conversation. We've all okay. We've all seen that. Oh, yeah. They tend to take an expert position on whatever uh-huh. subject they're talking about. Uh-huh. They tend to 
interrupt more and they tend to play devil's advocate. They do verbal sparring with one another about who's better. Okay. We don't do that because we value egalitarianism, everybody being equal. So that is why if I get a compliment in front of a bunch of other women, some of us feel the need to knock it back down. So you yes. don't think I think I'm better. Yeah. So I have to put myself on the same level. Oh my gosh, this, this shirt, I, oh my God, this cheap thing. Like I just threw on whatever, like I just threw on whatever. It barely even matches. Okay. Yeah. Cause I don't want you thinking that I think I'm better or I have higher status. Now I'm not saying that's okay. I don't necessarily love that for us. I think we need to learn how to say, Oh my God, thank you. I needed that and keep it moving. But that's why some of us feel so uncomfortable in those situations because we value connection. So you thinking that I think I'm better than you is going to disrupt our connection for men. They're going to, I mean, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm better than you. <laughs> and it's just like, Oh, okay. Well, you know? So, um, that was my long way of saying, yes, there are a lot of differences. <laughs> Tell people where they can find you on social and um, the and online and stuff. Yeah, so everything lives at betterfemalefriendships.com. Easy to remember. Um, I'm getting together. We just bought the domain for femalefriendship.com. I'm like, we're going to do all things female friendship. So, um, but for now, everything's at betterfemalefriendships.com. And I have a weekly podcast called the Friend Forward Podcast. And I just am so grateful for women who trust their their friendship issues to me and who show up and they they sign up for the coaching. I'm just so proud of women who are like, I think I'm going to be intentional about mm. friendships. I'm just so proud of women who've gotten to that space and I feel honored to be a part of that journey. Yeah. I thank you. The the keyword is intentional. And I think that's what I mm-hmm. took from it. I realized I needed to be a little more intentional and, you know, the benefits were not just, oh, I have a good friend. It was mental health. It was my kids had a better parent. It was, I'm, I was a more productive worker and it made me prioritize Take, mm-hmm. cultivating those mm-hmm. friendships a little more. Look at you. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm there. I'm doing it, but it does make me think I tend to be a workaholic and I'm like, okay, mm. put away the work. This is important too, you know? Yeah. 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 There you go. Good for you. I, I, I hope that a lot more women follow suit. Well, thank you for talking with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.